Welcome to Refuge in our Sunday morning service here. It's just a joy to be here. I'm excited about what we have before us this morning in 1 John, in the first chapter of John's letter. Um, you know, the, uh, we, uh, we worship God with one of my most favorite songs. <laughs> you know which one it is? Which one is it, Jamie? <laughs> what do you think it is? What do you guys think it is? Hmm? You're, um, that, that is a, actually, I think the whole set was. <laughs> oh, man. But there's one in, in particular that really ministered to me this morning, and that's Carry My Soul. Carry My Soul. Um, that is just, um, you know, I, I learned this song, I strum to it, I, I sing, and uh, some of you in the men's study know this, especially if you're in Modesto's group. Um, normally, if I go to Modesto's group, um, he asks me always to, well, he did ask me to bring my guitar and lead in worship, uh, but now that uh, his son has stepped up and Jesse, right, um, they, uh, they actually lead in worship. So that, that's awesome. That's just uh, speaks of what the Lord's doing within the body here. But, um, you know, this is one of the songs I, I, I love to sing. Uh, it just takes me to that moment when it's going to be lift off, you know, um, and I do want to hear those words. And I hope that we all desire to hear those words. I want to hear you say, well done. I want to be welcomed in. I want to feel your, your love like sunshine on my resurrected skin. I want to hear the music play. I want to hear the trumpet sound. I want to hear you call my name and watch my feet lift off the ground. Right? Don't, don't we, we want to get, we want to see that. We want to hear that. As for the moment though, right, we are at the bridge. And I will keep my lamplight burning in the night. And I'll be waiting here for you, watching for all your signs. If I may be so bold to ask you, would you lend your ear to me? Oh, Lord, come quickly. So I will run, oh, and I won't quit, chasing your heart, just like David did. And I'll come running through the gates, look into your face, oh, I can hardly wait until you carry my soul, carry my soul away. Oh, Father, we... Thank you, Lord, for your promises. Lord, even as we as we're reminded of those lyrics, oh God. Oh, the beauty that we sing about and we imagine 
pales in comparison to the beauty of your glory and reality and eternity upon whose face we are going to gaze. I ask, Lord, that this morning as we've gathered together in your name, that you'd bless the fellowship of your children. Lord, that our prayers, our praises, even, Lord, our acknowledgement of you in the midst of the teaching of your word would be glorifying to you. Lord, that it would be from us acceptable. For it will be as it is our reasonable service, our spiritual worship unto you. And so, Father, we are truly thankful for this day. Lord, for this is the day that you have made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. Come to you at this very time expectantly, Lord, knowing that you desire to speak to us this morning. So, Lord, may we have ears to hear and hearts to obey, hands that are ready to serve you and bless you as we consider your kindness, your grace, and your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The title of this morning's message is Walk Humbly. Walk Humbly. We are going through the remainder of the first chapter in 1 John, which is verses 5 through 10, and then also touching on the first verse of chapter 2. So let's begin by reading 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Once again, Lord, we ask for your blessing. Oh, that by your spirit, you would give us understanding. Teach us all things that pertain to you. We ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see the scriptures, Lord. Enlighten them for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've learned that many people are good at talking, but not very many are good at walking. Who we think and say are, we are, are 100% of the time corrected 
by our actions, and there are times when our actions actually betray our words. I read an anonymous quote. I don't know who wrote this, but wrote this. Quote, when somebody tells you who they are, believe them. Then watch them. Actions speak louder than words. Close quote. I'm... Um, I'm speaking to you, but I'm thoroughly humbled considering myself. I would love to resemble that song more. I truly do want to be like David in every sense to where he ran and never gave up. He had a heart after God's own heart. I want to every day grow closer to the Lord and be a man who does stand with the Lord, never giving up. I want to make sure that my words match my actions. The Bible tells us that our actions are to match our words. James 5.12 says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. We're looking at a section of Scripture from a man who was used by the Lord, and yet we know that John, he failed. He was a man who had to learn who exactly it was that Jesus was, the things that he was taught along with the, uh, the rest of the disciples. But then at some point, he got beyond the hope and the misunderstanding of who Jesus was. And after the resurrection, as I had pointed that out before, he was a completely different man. And now he's being used to even correct false doctrine. Because imagine for a moment a group of people in the first century who were saying that they had fellowship with Jesus and also were claiming to have no sin and even claiming that they had not sinned. Imagine that. This, by the way, is the same group of people that said that Jesus was, was a spirit of some sorts, a ghost that did not have a body, but only appeared to have a body. We know that not to be true. This is not of the Lord. If someone teaches such a thing, it is... It is another gospel, which is no gospel at all. You know, Jesus walked on this earth, and he lived, and he ate, and he interacted with people. He touched, he embraced, and he was embraced. And he gave his life physically, and he shed his blood physically for the redemption of our sin. 
John was refuting this false teaching, this false doctrine. And we ought to also refute false doctrine, false teaching. We cannot take it lightly. We cannot dismiss it. We, we cannot compromise with it. It is a dangerous thing to do so and then believe that we are in the right place with the Lord. We cannot. You see, today we still have that same group of people from the first century all the way to the 21st century. The same group of people that claim sinlessness, claim sinless perfection and entire sanctification that it is possible to achieve. Imagine that. In fact, I heard of a woman that had stood up to give her testimony and was thanking God for not having sinned for three years. Upon that, someone stood up and said, I, I am so thankful for you. I am just encouraged by your example. And he said, you must be really proud of the fact that you have been sinless for the last three years. He says, she said, yes, indeed I am. And he said, aha, pride is a sin. One of the articles of faith for the Church of the Nazarene says, quote, We believe that entire sanctification is the act, that act of God subsequent to regeneration by which believers are made free from original sin or depravity and brought into a state of entire devotion to God and the holy obedience of love made perfect. Close quote. Now, are we, have we been forgiven of our sin? Yes. Absolutely. When the Father sees us, does he see anything other than the righteousness of Christ? No. But are we sinless? No. Should we sin less? Yes. I go on to the Wesleyans who teach that a person who has been saved and born again can achieve sinless perfection in life. And believe in entire sanctification. Listen, we will not know perfection this side of heaven. We will not. So this is false doctrine. And it comes from the misinterpretation of one verse. One verse. You know, you can, you can make up a whole religion, false religion, from taking out of context one verse. Uh, Matthew 5, 48 says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Because it is commanded, therefore, it should be achievable, is what they say. And yet, this is not what this means. In context, this is not what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5.48. Listen, John is desiring, as God desires, that, that we not sin. But when we do sin, when we do sin, we need to know what to do with that. In that very moment that we realize, that we acknowledge that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As it says in Romans 3.23, we ought to know that at that very moment, we should exercise, we should put into practice 1 John 1.9. Confess our sins 
that very moment, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we'll learn a little bit more about that in a few moments. Because we need to also consider this, that John, as he stated, the reason for writing this letter from the beginning said that your joy may be complete, right? And this is how your joy may be complete. I read off and I listed, I pointed out each time that John had written, by this you know. And it is having the full knowledge of Scripture and understanding it in context, by this we know, and therefore we can have that complete joy knowing that we are walking uprightly before the Lord. You see, John wanted to make sure Christians weren't deceived by false teachers and the false interpretation of Scripture. 1 John 2.26 says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There are many who will try and deceive you. The only way that they will succeed in deceiving you is if you don't know you're ignorant to what the Word of God says. Therefore, we are to be students of the Word of God that we may rightly handle or divide the Word of truth. You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So therefore, we ought to give ourselves to the reading and the studying, the med meditating upon in the memorization of Scripture. As we hide God's word in our hearts, the psalmist says, I hide your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. That his word would be a lamp to our feet, showing us exactly where we stand and in which direction we're pointing in. And a light to our path that we ought to walk in. The only way that you will be deceived is if you just absolutely do not know the Word of God. You, you, you can be led to believe anything if you don't know. And living in deception, well, it'll steal your joy. And the fullness of joy is not only possible for every Christian, but it is to be desired for every Christian. So therefore... Do not be ignorant of God's word and do not allow anyone to deceive you. But it doesn't just come automatically. You must know the word of God and then act in accordance with it. Again, not just knowing it, not just speaking it, but also living it out in our lives. John begins by saying, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. He begins this section by claiming no authority whatsoever. You know, I have in and of myself absolutely no authority whatsoever. I have stood behind this pulpit a number of times. And I personally have, have no authority. My word carries no weight whatsoever. But the message I pass along to you, the very word of God, does. And that's exactly what John is claiming. John is claiming the authority of Jesus Christ. John states that this is what they had heard from Jesus and is simply proclaiming it to the hearer. He is a herald of the good news. Making it known, announcing, declaring what is true, 
And what is this message that he had heard and now is proclaiming to everyone else? To us this morning. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You know, I heard uh, Kenneth Copeland say that the biggest failure in the Bible is God. He said that. You can look it up. Why? Because there were many things that he just apparently failed at. It, is it God that's failing or is it us? From what I understood, um, it was uh, Adam who sinned. And it was God's people who are considered to be a stiff-necked people. Um, it, it, it's us. We, we have failed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's perfect, blameless. Another false teacher for you. And there are many. There are many. God is light is what John was proclaiming, and in him is no darkness at all. The first principle we must get right and always acknowledge is that God is perfect and unchangeable. David Guzik put it this way, quote, A good definition of God is, God is the only infinite, eternal, and unchangeable spirit, the perfect being in whom all things begin and continue and end. Close quote. Absolutely, God is pure, He is perfect, and He is good. Always has been, is, and always will be. Therefore, as we acknowledge and consider God's perfection, we ought to consider our own imperfections in light of God's righteousness and holiness. And that should cause us to humble ourselves before a holy and righteous God. And consider this. He is indeed gracious. He is so gracious. He is so patient toward us. I am so thankful for that. It causes me to draw closer to him. I, I want to I know him more. I want us to know him more. That we may enjoy that relationship with him in a way that is unmatched by any relationship we have here on earth. Well, as we read through these verses, there were some false claims that we read in they were found in verses 6 and 8 and 10. In verse 6, it says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In verse 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And in verse 10, it says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. These are false claims. First of all, claiming fellowship with Jesus while practicing sin. 
Number two, claiming to have no sin. And then thirdly, claiming to not sin. Not have sinned. And with these false claims, it's, it's, very, it's very plain because John doesn't expound on it. It's just, it, this is the very plain and understandable word of God. And yet, in reality, even in its simplicity, we have failed to keep this. With these false claims, John gives us the corrections according to God's word. Claiming, let's begin with the first false claim, that is claiming fellowship while practicing sin. Verse 6 once more says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There are people who claim to have fellowship with Jesus Christ and yet practice sin. They willingly and habitually participate in some sinful act in thought, word, or act. Whether it be something that is allowed in, in their minds, and they continually think about this. By the way, at some time, uh, our thoughts manifest themselves outwardly. They, they reveal our hearts in some way. If we do not capture our thoughts and hold them captive and then submit them to the authority of God's word, then they become words and then we act on those things. You see, this is referring to your pattern of life. It's not referring to your occasional and unintentional deviation from righteousness. You know, those things that we do, we think, man, I, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. And, and even at that point, if you had some, said something offensive to someone else and you knew that that was offensive, Quickly dismiss that as just part of your personality. And just say, well, that's just the way God made me. I'm just, you know, like that. Live with it. No, that's not, right? What should we do? Humble ourselves, right? In that moment, immediately, as soon as we're made aware of the fact that we have offended someone by our words, said something inappropriate, we ought to immediately... Ask what? For forgiveness? And then not do it again. Right? That's called repentance. That's, that's those little moments, though. We, we, we're all guilty of those things. And so we need to be quick to respond in a way that matches the word of God. But this is not what this is referring to. This is referring to habitual, ongoing continual sin that we just refuse to confess and repent from. This is just ongoing. And, and there are people, as John is pointing out, that say they have fellowship with the Lord and yet are walking in darkness. A 
lifestyle of living for the world and self-glory would be a pattern of life that is not in line with God or definitely not a consideration of who he is. James 4, 4 says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, the other day I was going through um, just these, uh, uh, someone was talking about contradictions. One of the, th- I mean, they all kind of sounded pretty cool. And then all of a sudden, uh, the word of God came up. I was like, well, of course that perked my ears. And what this young lady said was, why is it that the church says that money is the root of all evil, and yet they're always asking for it? Have you heard that? You guys, you've all heard that, right? You've heard the world say that, right? Um, now, what it, it was that? Was that accurate as far as Scripture is concerned? Is is money the root of all evil? In and of itself, it's not evil or good. Money, right? Oh, who said it? Yeah. Oh, that small word changes everything. Whenever you hear someone say, oh, you know, money is the root of all evil, so, you know, why are you concerned about it? Say, no, 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 it's the, it's the love of money. It's the pursuit of the, of the, of the dollar. It's, uh, it, that's what is the root of all evil. In fact, you know, take them back to Matthew chapter 6. This is what it says in Scripture. These are the things that we need to be aware of and be discerning of. Because as we consider what we have before us, it's, it's an ongoing. Now, if we love money, if that's what we were pursuing and we would forsake God and we would forsake his service and we would forsake the assembling of the saints if we would just completely neglect him and then just say we have fellowship with Jesus and we're pursuing the dollar at the expense of my relationship with him, then yeah, that would be a lie and that person would not be practicing the truth. It says it very plainly, right? Because if we claim fellowship with God and live in unconfessed, unrepented of habitual sin, then we are lying and in reality are not practicing or living the truth. It's simple. It's something that for many people that profess a relationship with Jesus Christ, it should be deeply convicting. What is it that we put before the Lord and say, well, but, but we still have a salvific relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, how do you know if there's no fruit? If there's no change in you other than you don't cuss anymore or maybe you stop drinking and occasionally you go to church. They call them, by the way, cheesters. 
You go to church on Christmas and Easter only, or CEOs, right? You know, there are a lot of people like that. We need to be careful that we are practicing those things and still claim to have a vibrant, living relationship with God. Scripture is very clear. Brothers and sisters, I'm not speaking with my authority. I'm just simply laying out before you Scripture. Listen, we could be in habitual sin. Also, this is what this is referring to. Uh, It could be anything from telling little white lies. Why do they call them white lies? Right? Not following through with your promises, commitments. I just read, let your yes be yes and let your no be no, right? Sometimes it takes sacrifice to follow through with your commitments and your yes. Like, okay, I committed to this. And even in the midst of that, the Lord could be teaching you something. Oh, I don't. It's really inconvenient now. My life has changed. I have so much going on. I know I said yes, but at this point, I just got to let that go. Oftentimes, what is it? What, what do you let go of first? Right here. It's right here. I see people slip away and start missing the fellowship of the saints. Before that, it's, it's the withdrawing from ministry. And then slowly but surely, they find themselves not coming anymore. But every, every now and then, showing up. Following through with your commitment, understanding what that is to the Lord. It takes sacrifice, but we should come to the point to where we're doing it willfully and joyfully. But then we go on to other habitual sins. And this is something that we're all aware of. We know it happens. We know it's out there and it's destructive. Pornography, adultery, homosexuality, or you can go through the whole alphabet, LBGTQ+, right? All of that. That is all sin. As it says in the Word of God. From which we ought to, we are to confess and repent. No different than anything else. But this also includes anger, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, self-righteousness, and the list goes on. So just in case we missed you, uh, and, and the like. And John is saying that you're a liar. You're a liar if you practice these things and then also claim to have fellowship with God. No, you don't. That's why it's sobering. It's, oh man, it's convicting. When you come to a place and, and you hear this, and then you're challenged. Like, well, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but are you a, a God-fearing man? Are you a God-fearing woman? 
Do you have reverence for the Lord? Do you desire to draw near to him? Or do you just kind of, you're, in, you're a Christian in name only? Kind of just doing whatever you want to do and then asking God to come along. John is saying, that's no fellowship with him at all. You're, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. But verse 7 says this. And this is what John was desiring that they would know. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is what John wanted all of his hearers to know. But if we walk in the light. But if you live your life abiding in the light, in accordance with the word of God, in obedience to God's word, without having any known sin that's undealt with, then you will know and understand that the blood of Christ has indeed cleansed you from all of your sin and you are not actively resisting or reject, rejecting the conviction of the Holy Spirit. In that moment that the Holy Spirit convicts you, you are willfully and eagerly confessing those things to the Lord and getting things right with Him. Again, this doesn't mean that we're sinless. It means we are walking, simply walking in obedience. Actively, consistently, deliberately, living conscientiously for the glory of God, according to his character revealed by his word. And if we are in fellowship with God, then what will result is this. You ready? There will be fellowship with each other. That is a result of having genuine fellowship with God. I have told you this time and time again, I genuinely tell you, I love you guys, and there is nothing like fellowship with you other than my fellowship with God. There's nothing. My desire is that we all desire the same thing. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If the world would come in, people would come in and sit in the back and just watch. Would they see anger, resentment, bitterness, division or would they see a group of people who genuinely love each other are gracious are long suffering and come alongside each other in times of need and also in times of rejoicing by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another that's what Jesus said we want, we want to prove that we do love him by the manner in which we conduct ourselves as his people, his children. If you love him, you will willingly do what he commands, what the word commands. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, 
says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For we, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If we believe that, we will understand this type of fear, this type of reverence for the Lord. We will not want to disappoint. We will not want to take the shed blood of Christ flippantly in disregard. We will tread carefully, not for any other reason, but because we want to honor the Lord, our God, our Savior. But then we continue as we see in verse 8 that it gets worse with these people. They even claim that they had no sin. Verse 8 says, if we say uh, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Yes, we are cleansed from all sin by the blood of Jesus Christ as he has paid for all our sins. But that, again, does not mean that we are sinless. It means that our sins have been paid for in full, past, present, and future. Self-righteousness. Oh, this this is destructive. It's divisive. It's condescending. By the way, at the same time, let us not dismiss discernment and judgment And uh, the the necessity for rebuking, admonishing. Because I can name one and then many people will say, oh yeah. Judge not lest you be judged, right? It's the favorite verse of the world. But then fail to consider the fact that we are to be discerning. We are to rebuke at the right time. And in the right way. 
You see, to do so is not to be self-righteous, but the self-righteous, they, they beat their chest. And they consider themselves, even though they don't say it, they, they act it out. Coming across as, I am sinless, and you, sinner. Let me tell you. It's deceptive. It's a deceptive state of mind and heart, and it blinds a person of their own sin. That's what it does. Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32 says, And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have, uh, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He didn't come for those who are well. And listen, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, all they had to do, even the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, the priests, all they had to do was confess, yes, I am a sinner. I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says, as it says in the Old Testament, so it is repeated and pointed out in the New Testament, none is righteous, no, not one. That's all they had to do is confess. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, Our deceitful heart reveals an almost satanic shrewdness in self-deception. If you say you have no sin, you have achieved a fearful success. You have put out your own eyes and perverted your own reason, close quote. And listen, you may not think you're sinless, but too many people do not think of themselves as sinners, and it shows. Humble. Let's humble ourselves before a holy and righteous God. Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I have already obtained this, the Apostle Paul speaking this, writing this to the church in Philippi. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. But if we confess our sins, as it says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Christian life is a life of daily repentance. It's a life of humble surrender and the acknowledgement of a holy God who is constantly, continuously gracious and long-suffering, but also personally possessing confidence in his desire and ability to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we consider those things, humility, repentance, confession to the Lord, and at the same time, a confidence knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is the lifter of our heads. He is our strength. He is our hope. Oh, he is our might. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. We are to humbly confess our sins. What this means to confess is simply this. You agree. You agree with God that we have missed the mark. That's what it means. And when we do, we know that he is able to forgive us of our sins, and he is faithful and just. He has paid for our sins in full. He has not ignored our sin. He has dealt with our sin. 
He has paid for it in full. As we were reminded by Jake, Jesus on the cross said to Telesai as he had his arms stretched out, nailed to the cross, his feet nailed to the cross, and he said, it is finished. In other words, it is paid in full. It's a done deal. Oh, that's wonderful news. And so he didn't ignore our sin. He paid for it in full by his shed blood. That's why we must consider that his sacrifice on the cross. And as we pray without ceasing, we also are to confess without ceasing. And that's why I tell you that the Christian life is one of constant repentance. We go and Lord, yeah, that was not of you. But Lord, help me, forgive me, set me on the right path. This doesn't mean that we can go ahead and sin and therefore God's grace will cover us. But that when we sin, not deliberately, then God is ready to forgive us when we confess that we have sinned and, and turn from that sin. Verse 10 says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is blasphemy, by the way, so it is progressed or digressed, right? From saying we have fellowship with God and yet are practicing sin to saying that uh, we are sinless to now saying we have, we have not sinned. It has now come to the point of blasphemy, claiming to not have any sin. If we say we are without sin, not only do we deceive ourselves, but we also make God out to be a liar and prove that his word is not really in us. And yet, in that, we know, knowing this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Our advocate is right there with the Father. As John is making it abundantly clear that we cannot claim fellowship with God and practice sin, nor can we claim to have no sin or that we have not sinned. But he's also desiring for us to understand as we do not make an allowance for habitual sin, but when we do sin. The desire is that we do not sin, but if we do sin, which we will, we fall short every single day, and we confess those sins, well, we have an advocate that's with the Father. And when Satan is saying, see what your child did, see what your son did, see what your daughter did, Jesus is right there to say, no, he's mine, she's mine. I paid in full. Oh, what love. So we must know these things as we close. First of all, walk in the light. Live your life in obedience to God's word. As I've said, this requires your time. Read, study, memorize, and then live the word of God. Secondly, confess your sins. Live your life before God with humility. Acknowledging the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the moment and immediately confessing your sins. And then repenting. 
doing what is right, no longer doing that which is wrong or evil. Thirdly, consider the fact that our advocate is righteous. And in Christ, the Father sees his righteousness. Lastly, remember that we have an advocate in the presence of the Father who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins because he paid for them in full and he is whom we will see in all of his glory in eternity. Today, may we walk humbly before our God and Savior. May we do as we speak. May we act on what is true. May we live our lives in a way that... It brings glory to the one who saved us and is able to save us to the uttermost. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, help us to consider our own sin. Lord, we confess those things to you. We Oh, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and, and, Lord, that you would help us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Remind us that we have you as an advocate before the Father. And that one day we will be in your glory. So, Lord, um, may this day be different than any other day. May we uh, genuinely meditate on your word. Consider these things. Asking you for understanding and then applying them. In a way, Lord, that is fitting. Of a child of God. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.